This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. Today's guest is a doctor of clinical psychology and a licensed mental health therapist. I absolutely love having women like this on the podcast. I just, I honestly always feel like I could talk to them for hours, picking their brain, understanding the dynamics of self-love and body image in regards to clinical studies and a therapist's mind. It's fascinating to me. So I'm so excited that we have Dr. Morgan Francis joining us today. She's the owner of Scottsdale Premier Counseling in Scottsdale, Arizona. And at her private practice, she treats young adults, individuals, couples, and families with a mission to break through the mental health shame game. With over 20 years of experience specializing in the treatment of body image and eating disorders, Dr. Francis empowers you to make peace with your body and food. So she's in the right place on this podcast right now. Very aligned in what we do. She has an online body image course, which we'll link to in the show notes called Bye Bye Body Blame. You deserve to love your body without having to lose weight, which teaches you how to stop dieting once and for all. We are going to talk about self-love today. We're going to talk about body image. We're going to talk about the taboo of mental health. And I'm so excited to dive in. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. I want to start off with the foundation of what Raw Beauty Co. is all about, which is self-love. Now, this is a really hot topic and has been for a couple of years now. I feel like a lot of women are almost glazing over when they hear it because it feels very abstract and unachievable when you don't necessarily have the tools to help you move towards that space. Can you tell me as a therapist, what does self-love mean to you? Well, I definitely have been through my own journey of self-love, and I think that we can all relate to it being a journey, meaning we may not start out even with self-acceptance or self-like, and we may start at the bottom of feeling hateful towards ourselves because of messages or events that have happened to us that have been out of our control. So what I always try to teach my patients is that the journey of self-love can not always be linear. You may move up, you may move back, you may move sideways in all different directions because there are different seasons in our lives that will create turmoil, but there are seasons of our life that will also create joy. So it's important not only that we talk about the areas of our life that we're struggling in, but we also highlight the areas of our growth and our strength. I love that. I like how you described it as being a linear process. It's not just black and white, like self-hate, self-love. There's a few steps in between. I know I've seen on your Instagram, which has so many helpful tips. Everyone needs to go follow her at Dr. Morgan Francis. You've almost created a bit of like a linear 
guide or graphic or visual of this journey to self-love? What would you say are the different stages? of self-love. Yeah, because I'm a visual person. So for me, I really like having some kind of graph to depict the journey. So how I've defined it is there's self-hate through self-dislike, through self-awareness, self-neutrality, self-acceptance, self-like, and self-love. And I also teach those same steps when it comes to body image. So if we take out the word self and put in body, we can see the journey very clearly. So there may be body hate, body dislike, body awareness, body neutrality, body acceptance, body like, and body love. I teach it that way as well to my patients so that they understand that it is a journey. And in order for us to really dive into and work on self-love, we have to look at our self-hate. We have to look at and unpack the areas of our life that we are not proud of, that we keep secret, that we feel ashamed about. And so that's really where I dive into the therapeutic process with my patients. I love this. It almost looks like a staircase when you put it that way. And I feel like it seems so much more achievable when you can break it down into little steps. There's no expectation that you're all of a sudden just going to wake up one day and love your body or love yourself, that there's a bit of a process that we have to go through. And one of those key processes is awareness. So self-awareness or body awareness. Can you explain what that means? Like, how do we get to that place or that piece of the journey? That's a great question. So One of my favorite things to do is to help people start to heal their relationship with their body by going back in and learning to trust their body again, because we have been sent messages so subliminally that we can't trust what our bodies are communicating to us. So for example, if you are hungry, then we're told to drink water. If you are craving, let's say carbs, don't eat that, eat a salad instead. If you are tired and you don't feel like you know going to the gym, toughen up, pack your bag, and do a two-hour cardio-intense workout. <laughs> yes. Or if you're injured, power through. And I myself have lived that life, so I completely understand how that can happen to someone. But over time, if we continue to accumulate those messages, we really rupture and betray the trust with our bodies, because they are constantly trying to communicate to us. And so one of the things with body awareness is starting to come back to your home, come back to your body and recognize and listen to how your body is feeling, what it's trying to tell you. What do you need today? What areas of your life do you need to tune into when it comes to how you're feeling and mind-body connection? And so that is something that, again, it's a journey. It takes time, but it's such an important piece in healing our relationship with our body image. I have to say from in my own journey to healing my body image, my relationship with food, my relationship with self, that this was the key learning was understanding Mm -hmm. how to listen to my body and actually honoring and trusting what it was telling me. It feels very scary when you're in that space of obsessing over food or exercise and trying to control your body and needing to look a certain way to start trusting your body again. I know that there are people listening who are thinking, 
okay, well, that's nice. But if I listen to my body, I would literally just eat chips and carbs and end up in a hole and like, you know, have to roll out of bed every morning. And that's a real thought that people are having right now. Absolutely. And I'm literally smiling right now as you're saying this, because that's typically the first response I get back is, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. Because if I were to give in, or if I were to listen to my body, then I would just binge on everything. Mm -hmm. And here's my philosophy about binging. So when it comes to foods, like the most addictive foods, like people ask me all the time, like Dr. Francis, what's the most addictive food that I need to stay away from? And Time after time again, research shows that the most addictive food is the one you tell yourself you can't have. That's the most addictive food. So if I tell myself, I can't have cookies and ice cream, guess what I'm going to binge on? Cookies and ice cream. If I tell myself I can't have pizza, I'm going to need a whole large, you know, with sausage and pepperoni and all the fixings. Because I am telling myself that, no, you can't have that. And by human nature, we want what we can't have, right? I mean, it's so simple. I mean, think about even as a parent, if you tell your child, hey, don't play with that toy, what do they want? They want that toy. Mm. So it's just very human nature for us to want what we can't have. And that goes along the same premise with our food. And so what I encourage my patients to do is make it available, move out of the law of scarcity and move into abundance and allow yourself, yes, Will you eat that large pizza? You probably will. And guess what will happen? You won't want it as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you are truly like starting to practice listening to your body, after you eat it, you'll realize your body doesn't actually feel that good. You feel tired. You feel gassy. So your body's telling you that didn't actually work for you. Let's try two pieces of pizza or three pieces of pizza next time and see how that goes. It is a journey of experimenting. You're not going to get it perfect at first. (laughs) There's going to be ups and downs. But the more you start tuning in and listening to your body, the more it's going to be telling you what it needs. You'll find that there are days when you're going to be craving salt and vinegar chips. And then there's going to be a lot of days where you're craving like greens and uh, smoothies and avocados and all that kind of stuff. I was would have 100% never believed that this could work and I it works listening to your body. Have you ever had your own personal experience dealing with this kind of thing? Like how did you get into working with this group of individuals? Oh, yes. I've definitely had many experiences and I'm very open about that because in my experience in my practice, many people feel comforted by the fact that I have been there. And I say that meaning like I've been in that dark place. I've been in that obsessive thinking. I've been in those compulsive actions. I've been in those relationships where I'm with somebody and I don't even know what they're saying because all I'm thinking about is food. When am I going to eat and how am I going to get rid of it? I mean, that was literally all I cared about when I was in my eating disorder. And so I went into treatment because my parents basically were like, listen, if you don't get a hold of this, we're going to take you out of school. And for me, education was my hall pass to life. Like there was no way I was going to lose my education because I knew it was my power and I really loved to learn. And so I agreed to go into therapy and I had a wonderful therapist. And these, these are some of the concepts that we worked on, which is trusting myself again, that the answers were always 
within me. I just didn't tap into them because I was believing that other people knew better than me, that other people had the answers and they might've, you know, helped me along the way, but really I had to repair the rupture with my own self. And so she really helped me learn how to trust myself again. And that meant trusting how my body was trying to communicate to me. And this didn't happen overnight. I'm, I'm very forthcoming about this, that, you know, there were times where I was not in therapy and then I would have come back to therapy, um, maybe for a different issue that had nothing to do with, you know, my eating disorder or body image, but, you know, maybe have to do with just my reactivity to situations or my insecurity of being a new mom. Or I remember one time where, when I, my husband and I got engaged and I could just sense that, you know, there were some areas I needed to continue to unpack and explore so I can make sure I, I showed up in my best optimal self for him in our marriage. And I'm so glad I went back in during that time. I love that. I think that therapy, having those supports in your back pocket is one of the best tools that you can have when you can find somebody who you resonate with and who is able to support you in various times of your life. It is huge, huge, huge to have that for anybody who's struggling and wondering, you know, what's the first step? Like, oh, there's so many steps in getting to a place of self-love. Start by finding someone who can support you and who can, you know, look at things objectively and hold up the mirror for you and, and create that safe space or container for you to do this type of work. That's a great place to start. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Robbie Talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. Friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavi is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. 
I'm going to push pause for a second to remind you that if this information is resonating with you, I am a health and wellness coach who is trained to help you create healthy habits that stick that are going to support you in living your best life. I work with you to help you get crystal clear on where you want to go. And then with a whole lot of love and of course, a little ass kicking, I'm going to help you get out of your own way so that you can get there. I'll help you overcome limiting beliefs, build healthy habits, and I'll give you the tools to ensure you have an amazing relationship with food and your body. No more dieting, way less self-criticism, no more brain space wasted on what you ate or what you're going to eat or how that cellulite might look on your next vacation. 2020 is your year, and if you're feeling like it's already slipping through your hands, click the link in the show notes right now to apply for coaching with me. I can't wait to meet you. Okay, I want to get into some specifics. I love how you say this again on your Insta page. On the journey to moving towards self-love, we often have to start by exploring our self-hate. Mm-hmm. Oh, I haven't heard anybody talk about this. Can you explain what that means and, and where we begin in doing that? Yeah, it's really an important piece. So you know, going back into our shame as Brene Brown did such an excellent job explaining, you know, shame lives in a petri dish of silence, secrecy, and judgment. And what I have found is that, you know, yes, we may have individuals in our lives that are very critical of ourselves, but my worst critic is always going to be myself. No one gets in my way more than I do. So it's really important that for an individual who's struggling with um, self-love to look at the areas that they really have discussed for areas that they've been afraid to talk about that they didn't feel like they could or have the safety to be able to explore. And that's the self-hate is the areas that we feel so ashamed with. And many times because we feel ashamed with areas of our life, we will compensate and move towards perfectionism. So I am definitely a perfectionist and I've really gotten to know that side of me and really tried to understand her. You know, where does it come from? How does it show up? How does it manifest? Meaning like, does it show up in my ability to be a parent? Does it show up in my ability as a wife? Does it show up in my relationship as friendships, in my appearance? And I've really tried to, you know, do things that are not perfect. So I will wear, you know, things that don't match. You know, I'm just being very simplistic at this point. Or yeah. I won't, you know, make things perfect for my children and not in a harmful way, but in a way that says, you know, mommy's human too. And mommy's capable of making mistakes and that's okay. There's definitely many times in my marriage where I've had to apologize for things that I should have probably not said in that tone of voice. So, you know, just being able to own and take accountability and responsibility around my perfectionism is definitely an area that has helped me learn to then move towards that self-like and self-love. So if somebody is listening to this right now and is thinking, I have a lot of self-hate about the way that I look, where would they begin in exploring and unpacking that self-hate? Well, that's a great question. And I would definitely say working with someone that has experience in helping an individual that does struggle with self-hate. The first and foremost is looking at the conversation that you have with yourself on a daily basis. The conversations with other people are powerful, but the most powerful conversation you're going to have is the one with yourself. So understanding and starting to create the awareness around your self-talk, 
so many people I see who struggle with body shame really talk so negatively about their appearance. And it's just so subtle. I mean, we could be with a group of women and, oh gosh, I ate so much over the weekend and I just, oh, my, I just feel so gross today. That's that negative self-talk and we normalize it. Our, and we're like, oh my God, me too. And we'll join in and we'll add to the energy of the negativity. And what I really try to help my patients do is recognizing that they have choices in those body shaming conversations. One, they don't have to say anything because silence still sends a message. So maybe you choose not to engage in that energy. The second thing you can do is move the shift or shift out of that topic of conversation and provide a compliment or a comment that has nothing to do with a person's appearance. So a non-related appearance comment would sound like, I really enjoy spending time with you or you make me laugh so hard, or you are so inspiring to me. You know, things that have nothing to do with a person's appearance. And then the third thing a person can do to move out of the body shaming is to be open and honest. And, and sometimes that takes a little bit more courage for people. So again, that's why I always say this is to be the third step, and that's just to own what you're working on. So that could sound like, you know, I'm really working on not engaging in negative body talk. So as you know, as much as it would be easy for me to talk negatively about myself, I'm going to resist the urge to do so. This is such an important and interesting conversation because talking about our bodies and our appearance is the norm in our society today. And it's not always negative. Sometimes it's really focusing on like, oh, I love your outfit or your hair is looking so good today or like your eyelashes look insane or your eyebrows. I mean, we get down to the nitty gritty, right? And it's complimenting one another, mm -hmm. but it is still so appearance based and focused. I think that there's a lot of friends too who have that dialogue around like, uh, I'm feeling so fat right now, or I look so gross, or I'm on this diet, or you see somebody and you're like, wow, have you lost weight? It's just so ingrained in our culture to talk about the way that we look. Now, I know that as human beings, one of our greatest needs is to belong, to belong with our friends, to have that sense of self-acceptance. So not contributing to this kind of conversation, not being part of this dialogue can feel very scary and isolating for people. Yeah. Yeah. I find I even get uncomfortable with it sometimes. And I know that it's not something that I want to engage in. I guess at the end of the day, it just comes down to being brave and starting that conversation and knowing what is important to you and being strong enough to stand in that. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think it goes with your alignment. So, you know, who you allow in your life is a representation of self-love. It truly is. So if my alignment, if my, my goal is to work on self-love, then it really wouldn't make sense for me to surround myself with people that are really stuck in their negativity. I can love them from afar. It's not that I'm abandoning them. It's not that I'm rejecting them. It's choosing to have boundaries like a hula hoop around your emotional energy and loving them from afar. Because the goal is like, I have so much self-love that I'm going to start to just, you know, make it rain and hand it out to you in a sense. That's even with people in my personal life. Like there's definitely been conversations where I've been in that, you know, I, it just felt icky. It didn't feel like it was in alignment with who I want to be and where I want to go. 
And so I really just decided, okay, I'm going to have to have this emotional hula hoop that's a boundary that's around me. And if my goal is to be in a place where I'm loving myself, then that's the cup I have to fill first. And, and then I can send love from afar to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that visual and just creating that idea of the hula hoop around you. I know for me with one of my groups of friends, I absolutely adore these girls. They are the most positive group of individuals. They're all incredibly creative. And I think when they're talking about clothes and makeup, it's actually more of a representation of their own creativity and interests, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, versus it becoming a negative thing. The challenge is that that's not exactly where my creative energy goes, but that's okay. I can accept that about them. And for me, it's about being secure in the fact that I don't have to have the perfect outfit every time. And like, I don't know how to do my eyeliner properly and that's okay. They still love me. It's not the end of the world. But again, it comes back to having that own security in yourself and being okay with yourself. And when you're okay with yourself, you can love on others, even if there's some differences there. Absolutely. And one of my favorite things is to try to help women to stop apologizing for not having makeup on. You know, there's this you know idea that we always have to be looking our you know our best and and always you know have the perfect outfit on or the or the perfect hair or the nails or eyelashes or what have you. And the reality is, I mean, if you are able to do that, good for you. Me more power to you. And if you're not, that's okay too. You know, when I'm not working in my professional office, I do not have makeup on. I mean, it's funny because (laughs) people at the gym will see me and and they're so used to me not having makeup on. So when they see me in, you know, on TV or in professional situations, they're like, oh my gosh, wow, I didn't even recognize you. It's <laughs> like, yes, I, I, I do shower and um, I'm able to get <laughs> my hair blown dry, but it's okay. And I want my children to be able to see the versatility as well. I think it's important for me and, and how I want them to see me. Yeah. And as you said, there's nothing wrong with having those moments when you're dressed up. And if that's what you love doing, go for it, girl. Do it. Go for it. It's just knowing yourself. I love to have maybe like once a month a night where I get a blowout and like do my makeup and put on a dress and go out. I love that. But like once a month. (laughs) The rest of the time I'm in my Lulu's and I get annoyed if I have to spend more than five minutes on doing my hair. I hate blow drying my hair. Yeah. And what (laughs) I really try to tell women is it's all about permission. So maybe the woman that's, you know, coming to school drop off with her child, who's got this gorgeous, you know, outfit on or high heels, you know, maybe she's giving herself permission to dress up and look nice for herself. You know, maybe that's what she needs. She needs to put something nice on to feel good for the day, you know, or the woman who's wearing something bright when it comes to color or the woman who's wearing, you know, those pattern pants, you know, maybe it's about giving herself that permission. And so it's so easy for us to judge. And what I would always try to encourage people is move away from the judgment and towards the empathy. You know, what would it be like for you to put yourself in her shoes? Because we never know what someone's going through. And so that's something also I always remind myself too, is if I see someone wearing something, like I applaud them. Good for you. Own your femininity, own your sexuality, own your beauty, rock your outfit, you know, because 
giving ourselves permission as women has been so, like really hard to do because we have yes. been constantly told to keep ourselves small to stay in the shadows. And so being in the light, you know, allowing our light to shine can feel extremely vulnerable. So that's why I always applaud the women that are out there that are allowing themselves to be seen. I absolutely love that. Turning judgment to empathy. Mm -hmm. When I think about this specific example that you just gave of seeing another woman doing her thing, what I found for me in regards to judgment is the more that I gave myself permission to do what I wanted to do, the less I gave a flying F about what other women were doing. The more I was like rooting them on and cheering them on for giving themselves permission to do their thing. So if you're noticing yourself in judgment, Ask yourself, what am I not giving myself permission to do? Mm, I'm like nodding my head and I'm smiling right now because yes, that's exactly it. It's that woman really is no different than any of us. You know, she has struggled with her insecurity. She has been on countless diets. She has been curious and has struggled with her self-esteem. The only difference between that woman and maybe someone like us who isn't there yet is that she's been given herself permission to not care about what you think. That's the difference. Yes. <laughs> she's not worrying about you. Yes. And so when we move <laughs> away from focusing on others, because that's what perfectionism does. Perfectionism puts our focus on others. Like, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? How are they going to judge? And we need to move away from putting our focus on others and put the focus back on ourselves. And that is self-love. Yes. I love, love, love that. Now, when we talk about putting the focus back on ourselves, one of the things that helped me the most in my journey was getting really clear on what my vision was for my life beyond my body, something that was bigger than my body. Because in my 20s, it felt like so much of my worth was tied to my body. I need my body to look a certain way, to meet the man that I want to meet, to get the attention that I want to get, to be a beautiful, successful woman. I mean, I'd created all these narratives around what the perfect, quote unquote, perfect body meant in my life. Getting clear on what I wanted to create in my life and how I was going to show up in a way that was bigger than my body was pivotal for me. When I work with coaching clients to do this exercise, to create this vision, oftentimes, I would say it's about 60-40, 60 60% of women have no idea what their vision is. They feel that they struggle to create a dream for themselves because they can't see beyond the calories, the weight on the scale. They haven't allowed themselves space to think about this. So I'm curious to know if, if you had somebody like that sitting in your office, where would you start in helping them to create a dream for themselves? Oh, that's such a beautiful question. And yes, I mean, the answer is yes. Time and time and time again, I have women like that sitting on my couch. And also I was like that. So I can definitely relate to those statements that you made very much. And so really what we're talking about is self-concept. So self-concept is the idea of who we are. And so how I explain self-concept is using like a pot of stew. So in your self-concept stew, there's all these different ingredients. So you'll have your morals, your values, your career, maybe your identity as a mom, a partner, body image being one of them, your faith, and so all that goes into your stew of self-concept. But this is where your stew doesn't taste so good because if body image is the main ingredient in your stew of self-concept, 
then everything gets attached to that. And it's the dominance. It, it spills over into every area of your life. And this is exactly what happens to us. We get so tied up into how we look that we stop living our life authentically. So for instance, when I think back to those times in my life when I was in a thinner body, I don't ever look back and wish for that thinner body back. I wish for that time back because I was missing out on creating, implementing, connecting, getting into the rooms to meet other women, um, working on myself. And when I say working on myself, I'm like, you know, really putting myself out there. And so that is exactly what I try to teach individuals is that you can't be out there like trying to share your message and coaching or helping others or serving whoever you need to serve, whether it be your children or your clients, and then come back home and be criticizing everything that you just did and tearing yourself apart, starving yourself, restricting your caloric intake and thinking that you can run at this level of intensity without food without accurate supplementation and nutrition. So that's where the discrepancy is. So in order for us to really be out there in the world sharing our message, we have to like the woman that we see in the mirror. We have to start getting to know her. We can't run from her. Do you think that you have to like, love, whatever it is yourself before you start working towards your dreams, whether that's just finding happiness in your body, creating a family, starting a business? Do you think that that piece of the puzzle has to be kind of completed or checked off before you get started on the other pieces? I'm so glad you asked me this question. No, because the healing is in the implementation. Mm -hmm. So people will come in and be like, well, I really need to work on the trauma that I had with my dad. But I don't want to get into a relationship yet until I've healed the trauma with my dad. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to be doing both. Okay? We're going to be healing the trauma <laughs> with your dad. And you're going to be out there and you're going to start dating. You're going to put yourself out there because the implementation is where the healing happens. The work in therapy is a microcosm for your macrocosm that's out there. Yeah. It sounds so dreamy to just be able to press pause on life and focus on yourself in therapy and really not do anything else. But the reality is that's not possible for most of us. And like you said, so true. The work is done out there on the playing field of life. Yes, exactly. So I have, uh, it's not a confession, but I haven't talked about this on the podcast yet. And I wasn't planning on it until I started introducing you and mentioning that you are big into removing the stigma and shame around therapy and mental health in general. So something that nobody in this audience really knows about me apart from my very close friends is that I am on anti-anxiety medication right now. And I have been since I was diagnosed with postpartum anxiety and depression. And oh, it like... Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to talk about because I feel like there's is such a stigma around it that there is a pressure as a health and wellness coach to not have to take any of that to just be able to meditate and exercise and eat well and that I would never need that, you know, if I was truly well or healthy. But I think it's important to talk about the fact that for many people this type of medication is really 
helping to stabilize the brain and our chemical reactions. And it's the same thing as if somebody had diabetes or, you know, an injured arm that you would take care of it and nurture it and look after it until it got better again. And I'm at a space now, it's been almost two years since I went through that like awful time where I'm feeling really strong, where I'm feeling really clear. My energy levels are back. All the pieces of the puzzle that I wasn't even able to begin to tap into, meditation and exercise and food um, that were not working for me at that time, those things have become habitual and they feel very manageable again. I mean, as manageable as they can be with two young kids and growing a business, but you know what I mean. So I'm starting to wean off the medication, not because I think that it's bad. There are a few side effects that I'm ready to kind of leave behind if I'm ready and I'm doing it slowly. And I guess I just wanted to share that in case there's anybody who's listening who is taking medication themselves and who is embarrassed about it or ashamed of it or anybody who needs it and is wondering why isn't the therapy or the meditation and the, you know, gratitudes and all these things that we list for people who are struggling, why aren't those working for me? That it is okay and that there isn't anything to be ashamed of if you need that support for a while. Mm. I just am breathing all this in right now because you have just given someone such a gift and the permission that you just gave yourself is so inspiring. And I just wanted to say thank you for allowing you to be seen. And I have goosebumps right now in my heart. Like I'm leaning into everything that you're saying right now because you are not alone. And there are so many of us that either have been on medication, are taking medication, are considering taking medication to help us in those seasons of our life that we need that extra TLC. And Mm -hmm. I often explain it like if you were to fall down and break your leg, I wouldn't, you know, say, no, you can't use crutches. Just hop around. (laughs) (laughs) We were giving someone the crutches. Like, here, yes, please, (laughs) please. Because that's exactly what medicine is. It helps us to function. And when it comes to depression and anxiety, you know, in my experience, people are not faking depression. They're faking perfect smiles. They're not Mm -hmm. faking anxiety. They're faking a calm demeanor. We need to be able to have more really transparent conversations like we are right now about our mental health. And that's why I talk about the fact that I went into therapy many times in my life (laughs) and that I'm still doing my personal work. In order for therapy to not be something we need to be afraid to talk about or think it's a weak thing to talk about, I really had to put myself out there because even in in our field as psychologists, we're told to like stay in the shadows. Yes, you are. Don't talk about your personal life. Like there's a lot of rules and boundaries about that, but it keeps this like veil of secrecy over it all. (laughs) It does. It's a fear-based mentality. And I don't operate well. I know this from my own healing. I don't operate in fear. I operate in grace and faith. So I choose to lead with my grace and faith. And that's really where my own professional 
transformation happened. And that's really where this whole following started to take place. Meaning people were like, oh my gosh, please come on and talk about this on, on the podcast. And you know, with Lori Harder or other individuals, Lindsay Schwartz, and, and, you know, speak about this at the National Charity League with all these high school girls. And it's been amazing because we have to be seen. We have to allow ourselves to be seen and not think of this as something that's a weakness, but it's such a strength to take care of our mental health. I mean, what a gift that you are giving your children. I mean, that to me, like, I, could, I wish I could just hug you right now. Like, that's the biggest <laughs> gift you could give your children is to take care of your mental health. Thank you. I think that there's just such a pressure in this field to kind of have it all figured out. And because we don't often hear therapists talking about their own personal journeys or the fact that they're still doing the work or coaches or that type of thing, it's almost like you have to have figured it all out before you can help people. Now, there are certain areas of my journey where I feel like I really have figured out some amazing solutions. Like I don't struggle with my relationship with food anymore. I have a really amazing relationship with my body. I'm not over here trying to coach people on how to, you know, take the one, two, three step to overcoming anxiety because that's a piece that I'm still working on. I think one thing that I, I understand the intention behind it, but I, for me, it actually does a disservice is this idea of sort of Eastern medicine versus Western medicine. It's like meditation versus medication. You see that graphic on social media all the time. And what I really had to surrender to was that there is a place for both of these things yes. and that our health and wellness will be at its absolute peak when we can start to marry the two. I didn't just start taking medication and then stop doing all the other work, but the medication allowed me to do the other work. It allowed me to actually get out of bed, to like stop crying, to stop having these thoughts where I felt like I had to leave my family and my kids that were like haunting me and causing panic attacks. It allowed those to quiet so that I could start leaning into the therapy and all these other things. I needed both or I don't know how I would have gotten through it. So I think we have to stop the separation. We have to start working together and having curiosity and acknowledging the strengths of both these different practices of medicine. Oh, yes. I mean, amen to that. I mean, honestly, the power of the word A and is just so huge. And I love that you mm you know, took two opposite ends of the spectrum and put and in the middle to make it dialectical. I can be Eastern and Western medicine to help serve my mental health so that I can function. So I can, I can do what I need to do to be who you are in the platform that you've created so that so many of us can say, yes, like we need to know that's okay as well. What does wellness mean to you at this point in your life? with all the conversations that you've had with women, with your own journey, with your work as, you know, this doctor and therapist, what does it mean to you? Oh, goodness. Well, the first, when you first said it to me, the first thing that came up was laughter. So, mm. you know, I, I'm in an office where, you know, I'm working with people's trauma most of my day. And there are days that are, it's very hard. You hear just such drastic devastation. And so really for 2020, my word is laughter, meaning I have to find those corners of laughter in my life and create it and, you know, have that fun. And so that's what I really do. So for me right now in my journey, it's wellness means laughter. 
and light mm. and joy. And that's really what I've been cultivating in 2020 so far. And I'm loving it. It's been really good. We can never have enough laughter. Laughter is the best medicine, yes. right? Yes, it really is. It really is. <laughs> and we and deserve I'm, it. We, we sure deserve do. it. And I love laughing at myself. I mean, I think it's really good to laugh at ourselves. So I definitely do that often. I feel like there have been so many tools and tips that I'm going to put together a free PDF for everyone who's listening with some of your amazing graphics and some of the tools and tips that we've talked about in this episode. You can download that in the show notes so that you have it easy to access and so that you can dig into it a little bit more. I'll probably make it into a bit of a worksheet so people can answer some questions as they move along. Before we wrap things up here today, if you were to, I always ended on this very light note. If you were to die today, <laughs> if you were to die today, but you had the opportunity before you left to write an email to women of the world, it was going to land in every inbox tomorrow. What would your message be? The first thing that comes up to, for me is I would send that email to all the women, but it would be addressed to my daughter because she's the most important female in my life. And I would always want her to know that believing in herself will get her further in life than anything else. So really believing in herself that she is capable, she can do anything she puts her mind to, that there are endless possibilities. And I really believe that when we allow ourselves to believe in our opportunities of, of success, that so many things can happen. And I don't mean like career wise, even just in her dreams and, you know, where she can travel to, who she can become, the conversations that she can have, the leadership that she can lead with, the ability to connect with her faith, whatever it may be. That's what I would want, you know, women all over the world to know. So beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can everybody find you if they want more information from you, if they want to follow along on that beautiful social media page? Yes. Well, thank you again for having me. So my Instagram is at Dr. Morgan Francis. And actually what I have just created was mindful text messages. So I'm so excited about this new platform because I've been creating mindful messages on my stories of my Instagram for quite some time. And they're just you know, very short to the point, hey, things for you to think about. And it really resonated with so many people. And so I was like, well, you know, I want to find a way to move it off of social media because, you know, oftentimes social media can be a time sucker. And so maybe, you know, if we're just looking down at our phone, like we would have like a text message, we can see something to help us move out of autopilot because so many times throughout our day, we're just going, 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 and we're not allowing ourselves to take a moment, take a breath and slow down and become conscious in our healing process. So I moved it into text messaging. So now you can sign up for mindful text messages and it's free. I love this. Yes. Yes. And it makes mental health accessible, moves away the stigma. Yes. Um, it's so great. It's 1202-759-6205 is the number. And you just like text it. And then automatically I will get back to you and you will receive mindful messages about two to three times a week. So it's nothing overwhelming. I really wanted to give a gift back to the community. And this is my gift to everyone to make, help them make their mental health a priority. 
Oh, I just love this. Everybody needs to text that number right now. Who doesn't need a little extra love throughout the week? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for carving out time to chat with me today. If you listened to this episode and you found that there were some things in it that were helpful to you, can you think about anybody else that this might help and pass the episode on to them? You can always click in the Apple icon. Um, There's an opportunity to share it and you can send it to them via text or via email. You can post it on your Instagram pages. Every little share is so, so appreciated as we get this podcast rolling. As always, listen to the information that resonates with you. Notice what this conversation stirs up for you and leave the rest behind. I can't wait to see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.